I'm going to try to launch this thing off and, and hit it dead center somewhere around Easter where I'll finish this series on called He Was Wounded. For someone to say that Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, he was wounded, I understand that, but we've been learning that medical science tells us there are really five categories of woundings. Now, some of you that are a doctor, you go say, well, there's more than that. Oh, don't, don't, don't start that. Like, where did the dinosaurs go? Don't start that. Medical science said there are five categories of major wounds. The first one we talked about, and it all refers to, and Jesus will experience all five for you. The first one we talked about was contusions. Contusions with small blood vessels that are broken beneath the surface of the skin. A contusion, by definition, means bruised, hidden hurts. Someone has beat you with rods or fists. Someone has beat you up, and you've hit it. No one even knows it. No blood has ever left the skin. You're not leaking like a bad radiator in the driveway. No one ever knows the condition that you're in this morning, but you may have been taking a beating for a long time. The second one we talked about last week for a long time was lacerations. Now, lacerations was completely different. Lacerations now, by definition, means that something has tore beneath the skin. And to lacerate, the Latin word, the lacer, it means to cut open. And we found out that it wasn't just lacerations. It wasn't cut. He was not cut. He was lacerated. Cut is something that is with a sharp, precision tool instrument. This has everything to do with ripping and jagging pieces of skin and muscle and tissue out. And then we told you that the definition of 39 stripes, and some of you are going to say, well, I heard he was beaten with 39 stripes. That's why you're going to church here instead of there. They gave him 39 strokes, but they were, they were, they were attached to a scourge, which was 12 leather straps, bone, metal, and even pieces of glass back then to rip out and tear out. We found out 12 times 39 was 468. The difference in flogging, like flogging and scourging, two different words. Flogging was something that a, a master would use on the back of a, of, a, of, a, of a person to get their attention, but never to wound him and cripple him because if they wound and cripple and even kill him, then they have no labor in the field. So a flog was something that they would use as a whip to get to motivate you, but it was not a scourge. Most Romans, people would die scourging. That's why Pilate wanted him scourged. Because Pilate said, I'm washing my hands of this. My wife has already told me that the angel gave her a dream, and I'm not going to have any part of this. But if I don't, if I don't do something, then, the, then, then Rome would disbar me and behead me. So scourge him. Because if you scourge him, more than likely he will die and, and the percentage of people that died under scourging was phenomenal. Because I showed you last week that scourging at 468 times, chunks and pieces, they would take out pieces of their arteries and veins and jugglers. They didn't care where they hit. The difference between a sniper rifle and a 12-gauge shotgun here. A 12-gauge is, this, these, it's not a cat of nine tails. That was something completely different. This was a scourge. It had 12 thrones on it. And they didn't care where they hit him. They just started wrapping around and taking pieces out. And we talked about this last week for a long time. That was what we referred to. Jesus became wounded. 
He was lacerated. He was cut open. And we found out why? Because he identified with our wounds and our cuts. Someone took a piece of your heart out when they left. Someone did something to you that when they buried them, that a piece of you left with them. He knows. He knows what it's like to have a piece of you when you go through a divorce court. He understands. Pieces and chunks are removed from your mortal body and your mind. He understands. We do have a, a high priest that can be felt with the, our infirmities because he has experienced everything that we feel. Everything. So the third one today is what we're going to refer to as, let's read the verse first. Matthew 27, 29. And when they had platted a crown of thorns upon the head of Jesus, they put it upon his head. Now this is the same verses where they're going to scourge him, but before they do that, they bring him into Pilate's courtyard. This praetorium, if you will, would hold several hundred Several hundred soldiers brought him in. Five to six hundred was the band. So it's a big auditorium. It's a big place. And the first thing they do, they do two or three things here, but we're just going to talk about this. They put a robe on him and they gave him a reed. But this is what we're concerned about today. And they platted a crown of thorns on his head. The third wound is where we're going to get a word that was brought about by thorns. It's called puncture. Puncture. Now today, if you've ever stayed awake in a sermon, you may want to stay awake on this one. Puncture. By definition, puncture, what we're going to call as penetrating wounds. Wounds that got in. And not only did it get in, it stayed in. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be cut on the surface and somebody said, well, where's the knife blade? Well, they run off with it. It's another thing for them to stick a knife in you and you go to the doctor and say, here it is. It never did leave my body. The crown of thorns is absolutely will change your whole mentality of what is, is you're going through on a, on a daily basis as Christians. And Christ went through this for you and for me. Puncture wounds. Things that got in that never left. Even when the, the preacher says, come out, it did not. Even when they say, I command you to come out, every evil thought, they just buried deeper and deeper into your mind. So this morning, a penetrating wound by definition, it means to puncture into the skin and tissue and it remains there. So a thorn, by definition, is used. It's a dangerously sharp instrument or tool used to puncture or stab. Now, I want to clarify. I want to go back to that, that verse, please, if you don't mind. So I need to clarify this. You see the word they platted? The King James used the word they platted. This is a word called impleco. Some of you need to know. You're going to be here for a while, so you might as well just pay attention. Impleco, pleco means to weave. Pleco means to weave, to twist, to bind together. But the word M in the Greek means to go inside. It's I-R-I-N, there is E-M. So when you use the word pleco, it means what was pleco? They weaved, they weaved something together and twisted it together. But it didn't, it didn't remain there that when they got it weaved together and stayed together, then they shoved or forcefully stabbed these thorns upon his head into his scalp. And that's where we get the word Impleco. 
I'll say it to you slowly. Not only were the thorns weaved together, but now the thorns are weaved together in his head. They're not coming out. So we're not talking about somebody just setting a crown of thorns up on your head. We're talking about pleco. It means to weave because when you weave thorns, the thorns are so connected together that they don't pull apart. We'll talk about that in a moment. So the word pleco means they weave these thorns together like a briar patch. You weave them together where they won't pull apart, but that's not where the story ends. They shoved it upon his head so hard that the word pleco becomes impleco. And now then the weaving is not just thorn upon thorn, it's now thorn upon skin. And they're all twisted together. And no matter what he does or what happens, these things are not coming out of his skull. Have you ever had something put in your brain that you can't get it out? Then you need to pay attention for this service. Your enemy has taken something and jammed it so hard upon you, it's not leaving, it's not going anywhere. So one of the questions is that, and everybody has an opinion, and I don't, talk, I don't really like to talk about opinions because opinion leads to, uh, the Bible says, it's, it's called foolish, foolishness and ungodliness. So, but the question is, what were the crown of thorns made of? Everybody has an opinion. So I will tell you that I did a little investigation about this about 20 years ago. And, um, and some very smart individuals kind of helped me with this when I was in the other church. And we're going to call the plant the crown of thorns and uh, Stephanos, which means a crown or a victor's crown, by which plant? Back then, it was very common for bay laurels to make wreaths out of. Parades, festivities, weddings, all kinds of things. They were very common, bay laurels. Matter of fact, we know for a fact that the cherry laurel, it, it was used by, it's called um, hydrocyanic, uh, you mix cyanide with water. It was poisonous. Nero poisoned his enemies' wells with these leaves called cherry laurels. So a cherry laurel was used. It had toxics and chemicals in it of cyanide that only mixed with water or saliva. It was deadly. Alexander the Great, this is one the Apostle Paul says to get rid of all of bitterness, the root of bitterness. The word bitterness is a Greek word for picra. It means it's a poisonous plant mixed with water. Alexander defeated the, Pe the, the Medes and the Persians. He was outnumbered eight to one because he uses the, the root of a plant called picra, which is called in the English bitterness. When people does things to you and you can't get over it, it's poisoning you. And not only will it poison the fountain that you're drinking from, it'll poison your children and it'll poison generations behind you. Paul uses this word, the root of bitterness, because Alexander the Great won his war by taking a simple plant like the cherry laurel, which is picra, mixing it with water, and it becomes cyanide. The plant that everyone feels like that, that, that Jesus Christ wore is called Euphorbia milli. It's part of the spurge family, poinsettias. 
The Spurge family is where we get, it's called purge or to expurge. It's a Latin word called uh, purgate and ex. And purgate in the Latin means to cleanse or to remove. The word ex means out. So the word spurge or expurgate means to remove the unwanted, to clean out the unsuitable. So it's a funny word that is used by this word euphorbia milli. It's a plant that was very common, coral, yellow, uh, red, it's probably, that's coral, pink were the flowers. They were very beautiful, but they had the same side effects as the cherry laurel. They were toxic. Now, there have been some speculations, I think, and I'm not a scientist. Some of you are the poinsettias or are deadly. I don't go around eating them. I don't know that. Some say they are, some say they are. Some, but I will tell you one thing about this euphorbia, uh, mili, is very toxic when it mixed with saliva or water and fluids. And so the idea of this, that the crown of thorns that was used, it was found there in the courtyard, it was found everywhere, that these soldiers took this euphorbia, Millie, that was very beautiful on the outside, and they made a crown of thorns upon it. And, and, and the problem with this is that in addition to the, it's called 30 millimeters, I think, about an inch and a half spikes upon this bush. Not only was it the pain excruciating, but it, it released toxic poisons through the skin, causing great brain swelling and damage to the brain. Because as goes the poisons in the leaves, so goes the poison in the thorns. So science will tell you through this plant that once they knowing full well what was going on, that they didn't make it out of some simple bay laurel that was for decoration. They grabbed a specific euphorbia or a spurge plant, a family, and they wrapped it up in pleco and they crammed it on his head full well knowing because the spikes were poisonous. And once it penetrated into the skin, now then what we have is that we have a and I wrote this, these thorns were not enough to kill you. It would make you sick, but it was enough to distract his focus and his attention. It wasn't powerful like cyanide, but it was enough to make you hallucinate. Your enemy cannot destroy you. All your enemy can do is distract you with stuff. And now then, this thing crammed upon his head. Now then, we have a bloodbath running in his face. We have blood running in his eyes. We have blood everywhere. The, the, the blood vessels are so light and thin and free in the brain that once it's penetrated, runs. You, some of you guys have got a black eye or a busted eyeball or something. Blood was everywhere, wasn't it? Thin skin, everywhere. I mean, it looked like somebody beat you with a hammer and all of, the doctor said, oh, that's nothing. It's just like a butterfly. A butterfly? What do you mean a butterfly? I've lost nine quarts of blood through this thing. No. So once they crown these toxic thorns in his skull, and I'm not going to do this sermon any justice, so you'll just have to bear with me. Now a bloodbath begins to run. And what's fascinating about this on his way to the cross, remember that he stopped by a woman and she wiped his brow, wiped his eyes? That was Veronica. That was the woman that had the issue of blood. He wiped her blood and she wiped his. 
He stopped her blood from hemorrhaging and she stopped his from the brow. It's amazing. So now then you have this, you have this horrific scene going on. This crown of thorns is made by the by Spurge family and has been jammed so hard upon his head that instantly the spikes in Pleco went in and they're not coming out. And while they're going in, now then the brain is, 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 is there's this, com, this convulsion of nerve endings and now then it's releasing endorphins everywhere in blood and everything's moving. And these thorns now that are freshly picked, now then they're releasing toxins into his bloodstream. And now then it gives him not necessarily the power to kill him, but hallucination will set in. I really think that kind of best describes a whole lot of what we go through on a regular basis. The things that have happened to us and things that are said against us and done against us, it's not really enough to destroy us, but it's sure enough to lose our distraction and focus what this thing is all about. Unkind words, unkind actions. Somebody said something, somebody did something, and we're going to talk about this. So the scripture tells us that the thorns got in. It got in to puncture and to poison his thoughts. And pleco means it's every mocking and ridiculing word and actions against him now is stuck in his mind. I want to say that again to you. Every, because remember Matthew 27, if, if you don't know this, I'm going to give you a Bible lesson. That's what I'm for. The crown of thorns wasn't intended to kill him. They were mocking him. I'm not going to get to it today, but I will. About some of the greatest thorns of here to poison you is not to destroy you. It's mocking you of what you stand for. Oh, yeah, you're some king. You're somebody. Oh, yeah, you're the son of God. Look at you. You believe worse than anybody. It's the mocking part. It's the mocking that you go to work and people mock you. It's the mocking you get up and sing it. And it's mocking you. It's exactly what Jesus experienced was mocking and ridiculement of who he was. But yet he didn't have the permission to demonstrate who he really was. So he had to endure the suffering and shame because we endure mockings as his children. And there's an old saying back in the 80s and 90s that if they had to put you on trial for being a son of God, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If they had to put you on trial for being a child of God, is there enough evidence in your community to convict you? Pretty shocking. So in Pleco now, Every poisonous thought, every hateful action now is in pleco into his brow. And now then, these toxic poisons is now infiltrating his brain. They're stuck. It got in. I told somebody before church, Luke 22, verse 1 through 3, don't show it. Don't, don't show it. Verse 3 says, this is about the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. And this is what it says. You can show verse 3. Satan entered in. 
Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear. Judas played around. He played around with the wrong crowd. He played around with the wrong people. He, he played around with the world, but it got to a place where he, he played around so much that he felt like that, that nothing can happen to him. But Luke 22, verse 3 says, and then it came a point where Satan entered into him, and that's where he betrayed the Lord. Don't ever think as a Christian, I can do what I want to, and there's no effects. You will fall into the same trap as Judas Iscariot. His name means Judah, which is praise, and Iscariot means Kerioth, where Elijah's from. Even his name was a wonderful biblical name put together. All the stuff that he did and all the things that he thought about doing, he did not until Luke 22, and it says, Satan, watch this, entered in. Satan got in him. The thorns got in. Hmm. So when you talk about the thorns and the poisons in Jesus's mind, what things? I, I thought everybody, I thought today that Jesus loved everybody. No. No, without any apologies from me. No, without any apologies, because we went through this. If he loved everybody, he would have went back to, 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 to Pontius Pilate's courtyard and preached the gospel the first day of his resurrection, but he did not. We talked about this. Why didn't he? We talked about this. So what thoughts? So, so I'm going to show you what thoughts. I made a statement last week about the times that they tried to kill Jesus and Don Dixon asked, and I'm glad you asked. You can always ask me anything. And if I don't know it, I'll be like most preachers. I'll make it up. I'm just kidding you. I will not make it up. Well, they lack an intelligence, they'll make up in volume, you know. There are actually nine by the time you get to Luke 22, but we're gonna, there are eight times that the people want to kill Jesus. It's shocking to you. And when I said the idea that Jesus never taught anything that the people didn't like is a flat out wrong. Flat out wrong. Jesus always and only taught the truth and because of that, he was hated. You need to turn the television off and open up the Bible. Start with everything that's basically written in red and go from there. So here's eight times that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Number one, Luke 4, 16 through 30, when they called out, when he called out his hometown for their unbelief. They went to throw him off a cliff, a 112-foot cliff. They threw James off of it. They wanted to throw him off of it, 112 feet. Number two, when Jesus challenged the Pharisees' teachings on healing on the Sabbath, Matthew 12, 1 through 14, they said they plot to destroy him. Before we go any further, the thorns that are now embedded into his head the poisons and the thorns, the accusations and the ridiculing now is in full strength embedded into his head of things that has happened to him in his short three and a half years that we have record of. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when someone on multiple times says, I'm going to put a bullet in your brain when I catch you in the backyard by yourself, that has got to stay with you. And I know some of you, some of you like Ron, they say, well, I'm not afraid. That's why you send Donna to the backyard, take out the trash. That's why you do that. Number three, when Jesus placed himself above the Pharisees level of authority, John 5, 1 through 18, the Bible says, verse 16, they sought to slay him. Number four, when Jesus called himself by God's name, they gathered a bunch of stones to kill him. Now, this is, found, this is found in John 8, and this is where he says, you know, he said, he said, Abraham would love to see, and, and Abraham was their idol, their father. And he said, Abraham would love to see the days that you see. And they go, do what? And he said, before Abraham, watch this. He goes, I am. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Now, to you, that means nothing. To the Jews, it meant everything. He was claiming to be God. Remember Exodus 3 14? Moses said, like Elmer Fudd, who am I supposed to tell him that they sent me? And he said, you tell him that I am that I am. There are basically nine, but I want to give you a little Bible history on this about Jesus claiming the I am's. The word I am basically is two words, inyan, inyan, but basically where we get a word for Jehovah, Yahweh. Jesus lists this, the I am. He said in John chapter 6 and 41, I am the bread of life. John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door of the sheepfold. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 10, I am the son of God. John 11, I am the resurrection and the light. They want to kill him there. John 15, I am the true vine. And finally, John 18 says this, I am the king. And by using this word, I am, he is placing himself equal with God himself. And for to you, that doesn't mean anything but for the Jews, that was taboo. So if you don't know this, there are 16 characteristics of the name Jehovah. Jehovah means it's the characteristic of God according to your specific need. That's what Jehovah means. Jehovah, by definition, means according to your specific need, that's who I am. Elohim means creator. Adonai means sovereign king or master. Jireh means provider. Nisa means the Lord our banner, the one who covers me. Raphika, the Lord our healer, and Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. There are 16 titles to the name of Jehovah that pertains to you and I. And if you don't know them, I'll give you the information because you'll need to know it. But this is what Jehovah means is this. According to your specific need, I am that answer. I am. So when Moses asked the instant question, when he asked me, who sends you? Just tell him, I am that I am. I am the deliverer. 
I am the conqueror. I am the overcomer. I am the provider. I'm the source. I'm the pillar cloud by day and the pillar fire by night. I am the water from the rock. I'm the manna from heaven. I'm all these things that my people need. Whatever they need, that's exactly what I am to my people. Jesus said, I am everything what the Father said he was. And they gather stones to kill him. Wow. Number five, when Jesus referred to himself as being God, they wanted to kill him. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and when he said, I am the resurrection of the life, the Bible says they looked for, for an opportunity. They made plans to kill him. Number seven, when Jesus cleansed the temple for the final time in Mark 11, they wanted to destroy him, not only kill him, but get rid of the body because of, they felt like they would have some type of a ride on their hand, and they would. And number eight, when Jesus told the chief priest that the kingdom of God would now be taken from them and given to another group of people, the Bible says in verse 46, they sought to lay hands on him. He said, my father is going to remove the kingdom of God from you and he's going to give it to another people. And they wouldn't stand for it. You talk about, you talk about there's no saying says where there's a will, there's a dysfunctional family involved. <laughs> so let's say, because we can say, let's just say that you, you had a brother or sister and you stayed at home and you did everything. You mowed the lawn and washed the dishes and that brother or sister, they were gone. They went to Missouri for some reason. They never checked in with mom or dad. You took them all your life and mom and dad had some money and you know and deep down when that time comes when, when, the, when the Lord takes them home, you're going you're gonna to get a cash cow right there in the front yard. And you go to the reading of the will and the will says, your mother and father left everything to the other guy. And I know what you would say. I mean, David, I know you would say, you would say, that's okay. It's all right. No, you would say, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to get rid of your body. That's what the Jews, that was in their heart. He said, how dare you say you're going to take it from me? How dare you say you're going to take it from us because we kept the temple up and we can recite everything. And this other group of people, these Gentiles, we were going to kill you. So when you understand these eight, and there was really nine, but these eight, these eight poisonous thorns, and now they're in Pleco, embedded, all these things are running through his mind of all the times that the Jews said, we're going to kill you. And the thing about it is he could read their minds and he knew it when he walked by. I'm so glad. You know, preachers today say, oh, I can read your mind. I'm so glad I cannot read your mind. <laughs> oh, baby. No preacher wants to be able to read your mind while I'm preaching our message. Because it's on, you know, spirit of roast beef and unbelief sets in. I understand. But he could read their minds. And every time he read their minds of, I hate you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kidnap you and we're going to burn the body. These are thorns that are in his head and they're not coming out. And don't go along saying, oh, Jesus forgot about him. He did not. These thorns represent, they went in and he carried these his entire life. 
awaiting for that day he would be crucified. How would you like to know that when you're born, somebody puts on a calendar, when you're 33 and a half years old, you're gonna receive the same treatment that Jesus got. You probably wouldn't enjoy summer vacations very well, knowing that day's coming. And you may say this morning, he didn't know. Grow up, he knew. He knew before the foundation of the earth. The Bible said in Revelation, he was slain before the foundations of the earth. These thorns were poisonous things that was never could kill him, but, but to bring some type of hallucinetic drug to his brain that he wouldn't think right. Hmm. So in closing kind of this morning, I want to show you another scripture that's used. It's found in 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. The apostle Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. What did he have? He had a lot of revelations from God. What does revelation mean? Apocrypha. It means that God curled back the curtain, let him see some things. That's all revelations mean. It means God let him peek through the curtains and see some things. And the apostle Paul saw some things. And he said, because the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn where? On the flesh. Say, on the flesh. You're wrong. Where'd you get that at? The thorn got in, not on. The thorn got in. The thorn got in him. The thorn got buried up. Because of the abundance of revelations, there was a thorn, Skolops, got in him. It buried into him. And it's not coming out. And we know that it was from Satan. It wasn't from God. Somebody said, well, God did that. Once again, please read your Bible. This is not from God. It is from, it's not Satan. It's Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Lucifer is his name. Satan is what he does. And the, the devil is the result of it, Diabolos. Satan accuses and Diabolos means it got in. What his name means. Your enemy accuses you so much, Satan, but then it gets in. And the damage begins to happen. A thorn in the flesh got in the Apostle Paul. Now, the thing about it is, and he sent to buffet me lest I would be exalted above measure. And so let me, let me take about five or six minutes and explain this to you. This thorn got in. Who was it by? Satan. What was it meant to do? To buffet him. So the Apostle Paul couldn't live in just on this one side of this paradigm where he could just have all the abundance of revelations. Unfortunately, there's another side to it. Any man or woman of God that has great revelations and great strength in God's word, those people, you don't, may not know it, but they suffer great opposition against your enemy. Great. Great. If some of you come in here and I act funny, there's a reason why I act funny. Because maybe all week I'm, I've had my brains, that one left, trying to be beat out of me. True. So the thing about it is, he said that there'd been a thorn in the flesh given unto me. It's inside me to buffet me. Now the word buffet, we have a couple, I know Brother Ron and Brother Don here, they were, they were in the Navy. Uh, koloff is a word where we get a word for a fist or knuckles. Kolofizo is a word, but kolof is a word for fist or knuckles, buffet. Kolofizo is a word for continual or repeating fist and knuckles, where we get a word for box. The Apostle Paul said, I'm getting boxed and hammered in the head constantly. 
the, the maritime word, the, the, the marine term for buff means waves hitting a vessel. I mean, it's not just like one big wave and go, whoo, I'm glad that's over. It's constant waves. Constant. And I'm sure these guys that were in the United States Navy, and thank you for your service, when they're out there, there's waves constantly hit the boat. You can count on it. So the Apostle Paul used this word buffet. He said, as sure as someone that's in, in the business of, of, the, of the marine industry, that waves constantly hit your boat, that's what it's feel to be buffeted by Satan. It's constant. It's not enough to sink me. It's just enough to make me seasick. Am I losing anybody? The thorn in the flesh cannot kill you. It will just make you, once again, nauseous, delirious. A few years ago that my father and my brother, for my father passed away. We went to Lake Fork. We went fishing. We hired a guy. You don't care. We paid him good money, and, and, but it was kind of windy. But we paid him, and we was going to make him we were going to make him stay with us. And that whole boat all day long was, was like this. And we're catching fish. We caught a lot of fish. And what's funny, after about seven hours of that, I go home or I go back to the hotel and I, and, and I stand in front of the mirror and I'm still doing this. <laughs> really? Your enemy can pound you so much and box you so much repeatedly that without even trying, you're like this. I'm delirious, I'm noxious, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking right. Why? Because colophizo means Paul said, he's buffing me, he's knuckling me, he's hitting me so much all the time. He can't knock me out. He just hits me so much all the time that it's making me sick. And so that's what that means. But the word thorn, this word, it's an active verb, but it's, it's called scolops. This is, is a little bit different than the first thorn, but... The word skolos means it's a sharp stake that was used on the enemy's head when it was impaled after it was decapitated. Skolops, the word thorn here that Paul uses, watch this. He said that what my enemy has plans for me, this thorn, is to impale my head on it once I've been decapitated. The enemy wants my head. What seems to be small and insignificant of this constant buffeting, but the thorns got in. But now then, the end result of this thorn of buffeting is this. The enemy wants your head. Why? Because evidently some of you or most of you or all of you or maybe just only me has had a revelation of who God is. So I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for me. Because I've had a revelation of the character of God. I didn't, somebody didn't convince me of this. I didn't get into an emotional meeting in church. I encountered who the Son of God really was. And because of that, there's been thorns my whole life, but the end result of my enemy, what he wants to do is to scolops me or to place my head and pale it upon a thorn that the whole world see that he has taken me out. And that's the language that Paul is using. 
So, all the attacks that is coming against your mind, all the attacks that's coming against your thoughts, unkind words, hateful things that's happened, they are now implacable, they're poisonous, not enough to kill you at the moment, they're so painful, but now that they've been embedded into your brain and you can't forget that somebody did something to you when you were eight. You cannot forget that your second grade teacher stuck her tongue at you when you were six. Six. You can't, you can't forget what happened at the divorce court. You can't happen at the cemetery. You cannot get these things out of your brain because not only are they weaved and fabricated together by your enemy, but now then they're fabricated and woven into your brain and they won't come out. So you're saying to me this morning before we go home, are you gonna help us get them out? The answer is no. No. You cannot unrung the bell. You can't unscramble the egg. So the Apostle Paul tells us in Colophizo, this, this continually beating that I'm going through, this buffeting of Satan, because of what? Say revelations. I had a revelation of who Jesus was, and since that day, I've been getting my brains beat out and the end result of what my enemy wants to do, what they did to kings back in the Old Testament, they would impale their head upon stakes at the entrance of the city to show you this is what happened to you if you follow in line and suit. So here was Paul's thorn. Some say that he had malaria, epilepsy, some say he had an eye infection. Some said he had club feet. Some said he had a hunchback. But there's nowhere in Scripture that supports any of these claims. None. I've heard it. You've heard it. So what was his thorn in the flesh? And I wrote this, that he had to spend most of his days solving people's problems, rather having the opportunity to share the revelations of God and his kingdom. Now, that don't mean much to you, but I'm going to tell you that here's a man. That absolutely saw the Shekinah glory of the Son of God on the Damascus Road, saw him fully. He heard things that no one ever heard before. We only have instructions of a communion because of him. That's why he re received the word of apostleship. The apostles, you, to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of his baptism and you had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection, Acts chapter 1. But yet they call him apostle. How could they do that? Because God opened up the heavens and, and he really got to see the real thing, the real deal. What I will not do here is I will not try to force anything into your mind and your heads. And, and I'm not, there's no sign up sheep anywhere in this church coming from me. Either you're a sheep or you're a goat. Either you're a wheat or you're a tear. And I'll love you and treat you the same, but either you have an ear to hear or you don't. Either you're spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. But I've said all along, my job is for the elect's sake. That's it. And I pray that you have ears to hear 
But the Apostle Paul said this, the reason why that from day one, I started getting my brains beat out, it was good for the first eight years. He talks about this in this Arabian desert. But when he got to the church of Corinth, they began to not only oppose him in doctrine, but the enemy said, how in the world can I undo what this man saw? Stay with me a minute. How can I undo? The man saw the heavens open up and the enemy said, how can I undo what he saw? He heard Christ. He heard God. He understood things that nobody ever heard. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I saw some things and heard some things I can't even repeat or talk about. So the enemy says, there's nothing that we can do to convince him that he didn't see it. All we can do is overwhelm him with other people's problems. Often in our everyday life, we too are punctured and poisoned by people and their problems. Their unkind words and actions are weaved into our thoughts only to distract us from our assignment. Here on earth, that is only to reveal the character of our Father and His Son, Jesus. Hang on just a minute. You're missing this. The apostle Paul said, I saw the real thing. I saw it. You can't talk me out of it. You can't undo what I saw. You can't undo what I heard. I know that I know that I know. And so the enemy says, well, there's nothing we can do to undo what he knows. So what we're going to have to do is that we are going to have to smother him with other people's problems. And the Apostle Paul spends his whole life trying to put out fires that people intentionally starts. And you know what he really wanted to do? Is just go through life talking about what he saw. I saw his glory. I heard his kingdom. There's a land. I saw a city. I heard my father. And what he did, every city that he went to, the enemy had people to buffet him, to poison him. That no longer could he talk about the things of heavenly value. He, got to, he had to talk about how to get a cat out of a tree. He had to talk about, can we wear long dresses or short dresses? Can we have yellow walls? You can laugh if you want to. I don't care. This is what I choose to do. And I've told you over and over, I'm not really a pastor. I'm a man that's had an encounter with the holiness of God. And all I want to do is talk about my father. And you want to talk about buildings and committees and parking lots and finances. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about your doctrine. I don't talk about anything like that. I'm here to talk to you about what I know, what I see, what I understand. I want to talk about his revelations, his goodness, and what he represents. And this other stuff is killing churches and it's killing people in churches because now then they're no longer talking about the revelation of God. They're talking about materialistic things. Don't let anybody buffet you to the place where you lose your testimony of what you know God to be. Amen. Well, Mormons make it in. I don't want to talk about that. I know, but will they make it in? I don't, don't, get me, don't get me sidetracked. 
I just want to get up here and talk about the revelations of God that I have seen and understand and understand through his word. That's all I want to do is talk about it. And we'll have new people. I'll tell you right here. here if you're new, do y'all have a board? Nope. Do you have a finance committee? Nope. Do you have a building committee? No. And you're going, blah, 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 blah. how does this work? I don't know. It just works. <laughs> he said, if you'll just lift me up, I'll just draw men unto me. If you'll just preach the kingdom of heaven, I'll cause this thing to expand in your hearts. And the apostle Paul said in closing, this is what was going on with Jesus, the thorns. That everywhere he went, people was pulling from him. He wanted to talk about his father, but they wanted to ridicule him of his teaching. He wanted to raise a little boy out of a funeral service on the way to the city of Nain. And he raised this little child up and all they wanted to do is say, we're gonna kill you when nobody's looking. All he came to do was to reveal the character of a loving father and, and he was surrounded by people that hated him because he said at one time, if you see the father, you just see me and they were pulling out their hair. So here's, here, here, here's, here, here's, here's where I'm at. All I wanna do is I wanna talk about the revelations of my father. And if I, don't, if I don't get around to sending you a card or calling you or coming to your house as much as you think that I should, I'm gonna tell you right now, I apologize right up front. I'm sorry. But I'm a man on a mission. And my mission is, is to preach to you the revelations of the things of God. And they may seem weird to you at first, but I will tell you, it'll only be true. And so this morning you may, now we can identify with the thorns that was in Christ's head. Every unkind word that was ever spoken to you is still there. Every hateful action that was launched against you by another Christian, they're still there. Every prayer that you prayed that was not answered and you held it against God, still there. Every dirty look that someone gave you from one side of the church to the other, still there. Every comment that was made by someone that should have known better that said that you'll never be good enough is still in you, still there. We have nowhere in scripture that these thorns will be extracted from our mind, but we do have this one promise. Paul says that in this, always remember my grace is sufficient for your needs. And so you're gonna spend your time going to prayer meetings and ask God to remove those things. And God said, I'm not removing nothing. My grace is enough. My grace is all you need. He prayed three times and God said, finally said, I've had enough of this. I'm not taking anything out of your life. So the unkind words and the hateful actions and all the things that someone has done against you that probably shouldn't have done, it can never be extracted. The crown of thorns was not only implacable together, but they were weaved and embedded in our Lord's brain. 
and he took it to the cross with him. He took it to the cross. And he said, I'm gonna take all these painful words and actions with every head bowed, please. And I'm gonna take them all the unkind words and all the poisonous things that was said by someone else's thorny tongue. And I'm gonna take it to the cross and I'm gonna pay for it. You don't have to carry that around anymore. His grace is sufficient. Auto archeo is the word, all you need. Father, this morning, we all can identify to this one. Painful thorns, painful actions, painful words, painful circumstances that happened to us and it got in. It embedded into our brain and they've never left. We can't get over it. We can't get over the thought because it's so connected to the thought process of our brain. But this is the only remedy that we have this morning, that even though you do not extract these things from our memory bank, but your grace seems to be the agent that heals the poisonings of our mind. When someone says, I hate you, you said, I love you. When someone has told us that we'll never be anything, you have, you have reminded us that we're more than enough. So Father, I ask you this morning for every child of God in this place this morning that understands the crown of thorns that's been impaled upon their thoughts, every toxic poison that is poisoning their thinking, thank you for wearing a crown of thorns and taking it to the cross for the healing of our minds. His grace is enough. I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds to think about it. Just 30 seconds. You may say this morning that God doesn't know what it's like to be lied about and lied to and misused. He certainly does. Pastor, I don't think Jesus really understands unkind words. Now you understand what I've told you today. He understands. He understands when his own family said, we hate you and we wish you would move to another country. You're an embarrassment to us. He understands. He understands when he's mocked at work and someone spits on him and labels him as a Jesus freak. He understands. But he took those crown of thorns that was poisoning our minds and took it to the cross. And there he paid for it. Stand with me if you would, please. Thank you so much for your patience. Communion servers, please come. Not only is there contusions, not only is there lacerations, but this morning there are penetrating wounds, wounds that goes in that never leave. So this morning, is it servers, please come, that we really don't have any general altar calls. We just leave this up to you, but 
But have you ever been punctured by a thorn? Have you ever been wounded by words? They went in and they're still in. I understand. Someone has said something and 10 minutes later they come to you and say, I wish you hadn't said that, I'm sorry, but they never, they never left your body. The only remedy this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is this. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that night he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup and he lifted up the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken marriages, your broken promises. Jesus became broken that you could go through life whole. Remember, in peace, not in pieces. And he took the cup and he said, this blood is, shall be my blood that was shed upon the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He took it all to the cross and the blood was atonement. It paid for our brokenness. So we take the cup and we take the blood this morning. It's symbolic that Christ's grace is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.